says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast, a rather belated reaction to the Round 10 results. As always, I'm your host John, also known as 4020. We do apologise for the delays, we'll get to the explanation shortly. Uh, joining me to break down the Round 10 action, Parramatta's loss or narrow loss to the Gold Coast Titans, my good mate, 60s. It's a couple of days after, mate, but we got there after stumbling and bumbling through a lot of forgotten cable and uh, some technical issues, but here we are ready to give our thoughts on Parramatta's uh, loss in round 10. Do we relabel this the delayed reaction? <laughs> this, this, yeah, uh, this might be the delayed reaction podcast, yes. Well, let me just reassure any listeners that my takes on things basically haven't changed in the no. last two days. <laughs> yeah. I'm, still scratch, I'm still scratching my head. I was scratching my head after the game. I'm still scratching my head now. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not not gonna it's not gonna change too much my uh, response to things. So um, yes, but we are we're we're finally getting into it, and um, it's going to mean that we're going to squeeze in a lot of content between now and Saturday night. Uh, and can I just give a, a so first of all a thank you to the people who were there for the first part of this podcast, which is which was our live preview in Jack's Bar and Grill at Parramatta Leagues Club. Uh, we had some people that braved the really cold conditions, the late Sunday night. It was so for those people that joined us in Jack's Bar and Grill, thank you for joining us. And we're back there again on Saturday night for the game against the Raiders. So we'll see you there then. And as always, a quick shout out to the tip sheet sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners, Narellan, Auburn and Parramatta making this show happen week in and week out. So 60s, uh, we'll get into it. Uh, first part of the podcast, like you mentioned, will be the pregame from Jack's Bar and Grill. So we'll cut to that now and then join you guys for the postgame after. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Got there, got the microphone working. Uh, I'm John, also known as 4020. Joining me is my good mate, 60s, also known as Craig. We're from the tip sheet, also known as the Cumberland Throw. Here to do a pre-game, pre-game chat for round 10 Magic Parramatta Eels taking on Gold Coast Titans. Greg, I'll let you take it away, mate. What do you want to talk about first? Well, first of all, thank you, everyone, for coming out tonight on a really cold night. <laughs> oh, it's a, jam- it's a jam-packed Jack's Bar and Grill tonight. And, uh, look, we, we are going to uh, take you through some of the key stats and what we're expecting from tonight's game. So, John, just to start off, just some overall records... The Eels have played the Titans 23 times in their history. That's the current incarnation of the Gold Coast, winning 12 and losing 11. At the venue, both teams have played 32 matches, mostly against the Broncos. The Eels have won 12 matches. The Titans have only won 10. Now, head-to-head, the Eels have won their last seven matches, dating back to 2017. And last year's results were 32-28 to and 26-20 to in favour of the Eels. And in that time period, back to 2017, the lowest scoring match had 34 points, and that was in 2021. Of the last five matches played against the Titans, four have been played in Queensland, so this match tonight is going to make it five out of the last six games. 
played in Queensland. Uh, now, just on the venue, John, what's, what's your takes on what you've observed on the field so far in terms of how the ground's holding up? There we go. It was a big talking point for us in our pre-game or preview podcast. Being slated in that eighth game in Magic Ground is always a concern. You know, you go through seven games before you get to your game. And Suncorp was already a, a turf that was struggling prior to round 10. And uh, just by our luck, a little bit of hail before the seventh game today has uh, added to the chop on that Suncorp turf. So as we watch the uh, Cowboys put away the Roosters pretty comfortably here, that field's looking more and more like a sort of a mud field more than anything else. Yeah, it's, that was probably my concern was that it was going to chop up like a cow paddock, but the last thing we wanted was any sort of bog surface that was there. Let's hope there's no more rain because rain is the great leveller. Now, just going through how this match looks, the teams, the Titans are on 10 points. They're two points ahead of the Eels, courtesy of the bye. Now, from the point of view of attack, I've highlighted a few stats. All up, the Eels have scored 222 points from nine games. That's an average of 24.67 points per game. The Titans, 188 points from eight games. 23.5 points per game. That's not really a huge difference there. Uh, then when it comes down to some of the individual stats across the team, offloads, the Eels sit second across the NRL with 12.9 offloads per game. The Titans seventh with 9.3 per game. Line breaks, the Eels are fourth with 4.8. The Titans are, are pretty close. Even though they're eighth, they're averaging 4.6 line breaks across the game. That's across the NRL uh, per game. That's probably an indication more so of maybe there's not a huge difference across all teams when it comes to that. It's just like a, a matter of decimal point difference. We've spoken about parity in the competition this year, and offensively at least, that seems to be the case with teams that have been outside the eight traditionally in the last couple of seasons sort of finding that levelling aspect with their attack against the better teams in this competition. Yeah, um, now there is a... I'm going to come up to a, a concerning stat, but it, it's, it's strange in another way. First of all, the, the Eels sit fifth in run metres at 1,597 run metres per game. The Titans ninth at 1,511. This is a stat that surprised me. Tackle breaks. The Eels sit 16th, that second last, for tackle breaks at 25.6 per game. The Titans ninth at 29.1. Now, given it, the Parramatta's doing quite well in attack, but it surprised me that our tackle breaks are sitting that low. So it suggests that we're creating clean line breaks more than breaking through the front line with physicality. So I don't know if that's an indication of a different attacking structure under Trent Barrett or the Eels probably just not in fifth gear yet when it comes to their offensive structures. But it's interesting to see, isn't it, that we're sort of creating opportunities without being touched more than so, uh, you know, using pure physicality to break that front line. Maybe this stat fits in with it. When it comes to completions, the Eels are 12th with 29.3 completed sets per game. Titans are even worse. They're sitting 16th at 27.6. So I guess there might be a little bit of a, a, a reasoning found in the in the smaller number of line breaks as well, in the lower number of completions. Well, if you're not getting through your sets, you're denying yourself attacking opportunities, aren't you? And that number plays true to what we've sort of seen on the eye test with the Parramatta Eels, where they've had a couple of games of outstanding completion rates. The win over Penrith immediately jumps to mind, where I think we had two uncompleted sets across that, the, t the totality of that game. 
but otherwise our completion rate's probably been below that 80% metric that they sort of set themselves as a par mark. And this is another stat which I think is reflected in those completions because if you don't complete your sets, you don't get to the kick. The Eels uh, sit seventh for kick metres. And you think with a kicker like Mitch Moses that we might be sitting higher than that, but we've only have an average of 692 kick metres per game. And that's seventh with Mitch setting in an NRL era uh, 1K plus kicking metres against Penrith. That's right. So when you take that that big outlier game of over a kilometre, it makes it interesting that we sit seventh. The Titans, in comparison, are sitting 13th with 634. Uh, just turning to defence, the Eels have conceded 188 points across their eight games. That's at an average of 20.88. And overall, that's ended up with uh, giving us a differential of plus 34 on the for and against. The Titans have conceded 199 points in less games. So consequently, they've got a higher average points conceded at nearly 25 points per game, and they are in a negative differential, negative 11. Uh, Missed tackles, the Eels sit 13th at 33.3. That's not... Not too good. No. Uh, the Titans are only just ahead at 33.1. So very similar there. Ineffective tackles. Again, it doesn't read well. The Eels 13th at 14.6 uh, ineffective tackles per game. The Titans 15th with 15.9 ineffective tackles per game. Now, we were talking before about the line breaks and the missed tackles. This is interesting because this line breaks conceded. This is where the, I think it might be a measure of the Eels' scramble defence. Line breaks conceded, the Eels sit fifth, conceding only 3.8 line breaks per game. I mean, that, that's considering the missed tackles and ineffective tackles. That's really indicative that the, the Eels' system with the, the scramble and the slide must be working quite well. I think if you uh, combine that statistic with one of the other ones that we always talk about, and that's the ruck speed, how the Eels are consistently anywhere from 0.3 to 0.5 of a second slower than opposition. Those two things are indicative of a bend but not breaking defensive structure where you're happy to concede metres and tackle breaks, but you're minimising line breaks and, and hopefully minimising points scored against you. Yeah, and the, in comparison, the Titans sit 11th at 5.0 um, line breaks conceded per game. Uh, the other one which Maybe it's been uh, buoyed a little bit by a couple of recent games where we've had uh, some problems with taking the high kicks. Uh, although it, it's not really a concern, but we are sitting 13th for dropped bombs. Uh, 0.9 per game, so roughly a, a one drop bomb per game. The Titans sit 10th with 0.6 or you know, a dropped bomb basically every second game. So they, they're doing quite well with that. Um, Discipline now. The Eels sit 11th for errors. 15.7 errors per game. And the Titans 9th at 10.8. So we're conceding, we're making five more errors per game than the Titans. Obviously an area where we need to get a little bit tighter. And that comes back to those incompleted sets that we're talking about. When you're making mistakes, you're not getting to your kick. And all, all those things just tied together, aren't they? They're all woven in. When you let one sort of thing go down, something else gets pulled with it. And, and just on those incomplete sets, then the Eels sit 11th with nine incomplete sets per game. The Titans fourth with eight incomplete sets per game. 
An area where we are good, however, uh, and it might surprise some people, is in penalties conceded. No, that's not surprising for me because last year or two we've been the most disciplined team when it comes to conceding those penalties. Once again, sometimes it seems detrimental on the eye test because we're giving away fast ruck speed because of it, coming back to that bend but not breaking principle and defence. But the reason why the Eels have such... Uh, a, a difference in aggregate of ruck speed and among other things is that their discipline is excellent. They're going to peel off faster and not give away those ruck penalties. Yeah, so we, uh, we're sitting with second, as I said, with only 4.6 penalties conceded per game. The Titans 11th with 6.3 penalties conceded per game. And yet so many teams seem to become so well disciplined yes. when they take on the Parramatta Reels. Yeah. Um, now, just looking to individual threats... Who would be your guess for the uh, main tackle breaks for the Titans, mate? Uh, it's hard to go past. I know he's mercurial and can be very inconsistent, but it's hard to go past big David Fafita down that left edge. Yeah, Fafita sits top of the tree for them. He makes 4.3 tackle breaks per game. Um, well, actually, no, he's second to Philip Sami, who makes 4.4 tackle breaks well, per game. Well, he's in some red-hot form. He's been, he wasn't their first-choice winger coming into this season, but he's grabbed his opportunity... And he's another player that can run a bit hot and cold, but when he's on, and he's on right now, he's devastating. And it's no surprise as well to see uh, Campbell coming in with 2.9 tackle breaks per game. Super elusive. The Eels, it starts with a surprise. Our most effective tackle breaker is Junior Paulo with 3.4 per game, uh, followed by Sean Lane, 2.8, and Gutherson, 2.7. I suppose maybe Sean Lane's the most surprising one there because Junior's interesting because we've spoken about how big he is but how light in his feet he is. So he's going to create some of those opportunities with his foot speed before the defensive line. Uh, Gufferson too makes sense because he just is so tireless that later in the games when people start to fatigue, he's going to start bouncing in and out of tackles. But uh, Sean Lane then that left edge, the big man, he's always good for post-contact metres but he's breaking some tackles, which is good to see. Yeah, but here's another concern for the Eels. The run metres of the back five. Yeah. Spoken about that, haven't we, mate? Yeah, so top, top of the list for the Eels is actually Will Penasini at 137.4 run metres per game, followed by Gutherson at 132, Sevo 124, Dunster 93.3 and Simonson 93. So we've, we've got two of our outside backs that are coming in at under 100 metres, it's, it's probably not an ideal result. No, you compare them to some of the premier back three combinations, and I know that's excluding Will Penasini now because he's in the centres, and I know Penrith are the benchmark in that regard, but a lot of teams in this current iteration, this current metagame of the NRL, are getting you know, 150, 170, 200 metres individually out of their back three. Uh, the, those two wingers in particular... Uh, have become such a vital, uh, vital part of the initial go-forward and laying up you know, later parts of the set for their middle, their middle forwards. In contrast, it's only Campbell from the Titans that has less run metres, and he has come off the bench as yeah. well. So he only sits at 87.6, but every one of their outside, uh, outside backs, their back five, comes in well over 100 metres. Now, we're going to cross and take the uh, sound in just a moment from our uh, the live broadcast. We're getting dressing room scenes just now. Just a couple of other things. Uh, Dylan Brown leads the try assist for the Eels with nine. Another surprise, Penasini's in there with five. Yeah, he's just been creating so many opportunities down that right edge, 60s, both for himself and for his uh, 
other other edgeman out there being the back rower and the uh, winger and the halfback. Yeah, best for the Titans is for feeder on four, so huge difference there. Line breaks, Sevo leads it with ten, followed by Moses six, Gutherson five, Penasini five, Khan Pereira tops it for the Titans with ten. So he's he's having a very good season. Uh, line break assists, Penasini again features. He leads the Eels for line break assists with seven. Gutherson five. Uh, Dylan Brown, six. He's up there again. Moses, four. The Titans, not big numbers. Four and four. Fafita, four. Kelly, three. And uh, just to round off, uh, before we take the sound from the, uh, the broadcast, offloads. Here's a surprise. Junior Paulo and Matto, they're only averaging 1.1 and 1.2 offloads per game. Again, that plays true to what we've seen with our eyes where I think some of the Parramatta's more prolific offloaders have been playing a little bit within themselves this year under new structures. And um, the Titans in comparison... Um, oh, sorry, the, but who does feature for the Eels is Hopgood with 2.4, Lane 2.3, Cardi 1.9. And for the Titans, surprisingly, it's Kelly with 2.2, then Fafita 1.8. Mate, we're going to round, round things off just now. Um, What's your, what's your takes on tonight's game? What's, what's going to... We, we spoke about the surface being one of the big equalising factors. Usually Parramatta's forward pack has been one of its big strengths this year, or sorry, in years past. We saw against Newcastle, they looked really good. So hopefully they can build on that. And if that forward pack gets traction in a very tractionless pitch, uh, they're going to go a long way towards getting the victory. But given what we just saw in that Gold, uh, Gold Coast, uh, Cowboys-Titan, uh, Roosters game, sorry, got there eventually, uh, there is going to be opportunities to move the ball still. The Cowboys showed ability to play a little bit laterally and expose the Roosters in those slippery conditions. So you're going to have to balance it out, playing really strong in the middle but also taking opportunities out wide. Historically, it's been a high-scoring game between the uh, Eels and the Titans. The weather's got me adjusting what I thought earlier in the week when I thought it was going to be a completely dry track. I'm I'm going to change my predicted tip to uh, Eels winning 26-16. to That's still relatively high-scoring but perhaps not as high-scoring as I thought before, uh, I'm going to uh, change my first try scorer as well. I'm going to go in this instance for Hopgood. I think he's going to create some havoc around the ruck and best on field. I'm going to go with a double there, Hopgood again. I think I had uh, Jermaine for my best on field in our original batch predictions. So I'll stick with the big man there. Although I think Will Penaseni, who was my first try scoring tip, will be right up there as well. And I'm going to back the Eels for a big win still. I think I went 35-10 initially. I'll stick in that sort of ballpark. You're still going for that disrespectful field goal. Even on the chopped up turf, he's going to pull a a Sean Timmons, Mitchie Moses, and just shank it over. Hit one of the uglier ones you'll see. Uh, Team news before we sign off, 60s. Eels 1-17. Titans have the one change on the interchange with uh, the ESL dummy half, Cruz Leeming, dropping off. Bringing in rookie Keanu Keeney who is a little pocket rocket, apparently. I think he's 176, 82 kilos. So not a big lad, but very exciting, apparently. And what about everyone else here? Are we ready for an Eels win? Okay, bring it on. And we'll switch over now for everyone here to the live broadcast. And we're back, 60s. As you mentioned earlier in the show, massive shout-out to the people who made it out the Jack's Bar and Grill, braving those uh, very, very breezy and sharp conditions on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry. Uh, and then we hope to have more people back this Saturday as we take on the Canberra Raiders in Canberra. But let's talk about this game, mate. 
Parramatta Eels 24 going down to the Gold Coast Titans 26. Five tries apiece. Mike Acevo bagging a double for the Eels. So a triple uh, hat-trick there with Guffo and Davey also scoring. Uh, unfortunately, Mitchell Moses uh, not being the difference or being the difference negatively um, off the kicking tee. He only went uh, one from his four attempts with Guffo uh, adding on one from one for the Andrew Davey try. Uh, on the other side, Kieran Foran bagged a double. Uh, Alafina Alafiana Campiera, sorry, Pereira, uh, also bagging a double. Brian Kelly scoring the match winner, or ostensibly the match winner in the 71st minute. Tanner Boyd, not sharp off the tee either, but he kicked three from five, and that was enough to get the Titans over the line. Crucially, Quentin Gufferson binned in the seventh minute. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it was that controversial 60s. It was just one of those unfortunate football incidents where your natural instincts dictate that you try and get around the guy in that fa- uh, fraction of a second, and he... Interfered with him in the what the referee deemed to be a try scoring situation. Quickly through the yeah, team, it's it's interesting on that too because it's um, it's it, the judgment is made on outcome rather than intent. Because we did see an incident later in the uh, in that same half, I think it was, uh, where uh, if I'm correct, it was uh, Jaden Campbell who looked to interfere with Mike Sebo. Yeah. Except Sevo had the power to push through uh, Campbell's uh, attempt at slowing him up. Now, given how close Sevo went to regathering that ball, and because that was the that was the one where he was looking to ground the ball before it went over the end goal, and he was he just didn't quite get the grounding. Um, it, it was just a bit too far ahead of him. He was he was himself most of his body I think was over the. Uh, touching uh, the dead ball line, um, and it, the, as it turned out, he bounced the grounding. Um, you have to wonder if there was that a microsecond or half a second that he was delayed in getting through. Was there? Well, was there grounds? Given given what we saw in Darwin, it would be the first time the Eels have had uh, negative results from the simbitting or non-simbitting of an opposition player. But uh, we have to, you know, trundle on. Um, but looking at the stats here, mate. It paints a very one-sided picture, really, which is it's fascinating that the game went the way it did, but it shows you the power of having a player, especially the defensive coordinator, essentially, in Guffo in the Symbian, uh, as well as that intercept drive at Gufferson through to Cam Pereira, because in terms of the attacking stats, geez, Eels are all over the Titans. Uh, well, the, the, can I just say, first of all, there's a couple of things that are that are like a deja vu, and I'll use the tautology all over again, <laughs> that um, in our match against the Sharks, when mm-hmm. uh, Gutho was sin binned, he was HIA in that over- game. There was a, it was a rubbish HIA. It was like no head contact, and he went off for fifteen minutes. So it's even worse than a sin bin in some ways. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, the the defense just fell apart, and it's uh, yep. it happened again. Yes, and and again, here's the other deja vu. Again, the deja vu. Um, sorry about all that tautology. But it was, uh, we're talking about how many times this year where we say blank tries a piece. Yeah. And the goal, fill in the number there. And that's right. The goal kicking mean the difference. And and you look at Mitch's actual season to date, goal kicking, it's for, I think it was three percentage points down on his career. So he's, at, he's a 77% career kicker. He's 74 this year. So he's not having a terrible year in terms of goal kicking, but what he is doing has been incredibly streaky. So when he's good, 
he's drilling them, but when he's bad, he's missing them real bad. And the problem is he's missing them real bad in these close games when we need him to be hitting, you know, 77% of them. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that was the problem. I, I guess the – and, you know, you're, you're damned in occasions on occasions when you're the goal kicker, but by the same token – uh, the the skill of goal kicking probably adds dollars to your contract value. Oh, anyway. absolutely. So yeah. you, you know, so if you if if you're that person, if you're going to reap the uh, rewards on one side, you got to take the the pressure or criticism on the other. And you know, this yeah. is an attack. And there were three very similar kicks against the Titans from uh, where it was like the adjustment just wasn't quite made. And and I guess that's the thing that we notice with, with Mitch is that his first kick generally dictates what's going to happen. Is his radar on or not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so, when those all three of those left-edge conversions because of the Marcus Evo hat-trick uh, went to the exact same spot and he couldn't make the adjustment, you just, you know, it was just going to be one of those nights, unfortunately. Uh, in terms of completions, both teams having a good night, 85% for the Eels, 89% for the Titans. Eels ahead on possession, 53 to 47%, which was 51 to 49 at half time. So the Eels actually had better, even better second half splits for possession. And I mean, it makes sense given they did come back on the scoreboard, but they were up on runs, 208 to 169. They were plus 400 just about on run meters, plus 100 and uh, was that 170 on post contact meters, seven line breaks to five. One thing they weren't up on was tackle breaks, 22 to 41 for the Gold Coast. Gold Coast obviously having a lot of uh, impact down Parramatta's right edge in terms of busting those tackles. Uh, but the Eels' average set distance was nearly 59 metres. They were running rampant through the middle, and I suppose the efforts of Ryan Madison and Bryce Cartwright really helping in that regard, 60s. Uh, play the ball speed, both teams quite slow in this game. 3.7 flat for the Gold Coast, 3.79 for Parramatta. Eels are doubling up on the offloads, 18 to 9. Uh, kick diffuse for both teams was fairly ordinary. Uh, 55% for the Gold Coast, 50% for the Parramatta. Uh, then the tackle rates, Eels down below 85% again on the season, 84.59 versus the Gold Coast. Also, <clears throat> sorry, also fairly uh, modest, 86.79 uh, effective tackle rate. So neither team with you know great defense in this game. That plays true to what we saw on the eye test. Uh, 41 missed tackles for Parramatta, the Gold Coast 22. Uh, but the Gold Coast making... Essentially, they flip the positions on uh, ineffective tackles. 14 for Parramatta, but 29 for the Gold Coast. Negative play, six errors apiece. Parramatta conceding seven penalties to the Gold Coast, three. We can talk about that. Uh, and obviously, they couldn't go for Sinbin. So that's the uh, team stats, 60s. In terms of the individual player stats, well, there was a couple of standout performances. If I can just pull them up here. Over to the no, I think, I think there's uh, three players that we can point the finger at in terms of outstanding performances. And even though I've, I've got a bone to pick of him in terms of uh, his uh, negative try involvements, because I think it's very rare to put one game, one try against Quentin Gufferson. I think you can actually bill him with four in this game. Two for the Symbian, one for the intercept, and then one on that last one where he, he made the poor uh, wrap-up at the end and the Gold Coast sent to the ball. But Guffo still got the 200 metres despite being in the Symbian. So he got a lot of work there. But the, the players that you really want to highlight here, well, Dillbags. He had a huge game. Yeah. We've been waiting for that one all season, and he finally put it together uh, with and without Mitchell Moses, which is uh, good to see. Uh, and then on top of that, I thought Ryan Madison off the bench was superhuman. Uh, he was massive. Um, and you might need the uh, the stupid new Dow M system 60s to give a couple of uh, dual three-point games out for this one because they were both outstanding. 
Uh, yeah, and then, yeah. Except they'll they'll give it to the um, the uh, Gold Coast. Um, I actually think Dylan Brown can walk away from this game with uh, four or five Dalian points. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and then after that, uh, the numbers for Bryce Cartwright. Well, they're not as flashy or gaudy as the other two. 14 runs, 128 metres versus uh, Maddo's 251 metres and Dill's 238 metres. But his involvements were top-notch. And the only real blemish on his um, his entire game was that missed tackle on Brian Kelly at the end, which was also a function of Guffo not bringing the ball down out wider to stop that slow, slow down that spread. So, yeah, those three players were outstanding. I thought Wiramu had a solid game, even the numbers aren't amazing. Uh, 8 for 83 were his run metres, which actually surprises that low. felt like he had uh, a decent game. Yeah, it, it's I, I'm I'm a little surprised with that, but his his minutes were quite low. He was he was only down for twenty eight minutes. I think so, Maddo essentially played the main prop in this game, more than Junior, yeah. more than um anyone. He had fifty two minutes. Uh, but that that two hundred and fifty one run meters from, in only fifty two minutes from twenty three carries, by the way. So what they weren't cheap runs. He no. was averaging over ten meters a run on huge production. Uh, four tackle breaks. I think there might have been a couple offloads. Yeah, a couple offloads in there. He had a couple of nice passes before the line too. So, 32 tackles. Yeah, 32 tackles. Two missed, one ineffective. So operating, when the team was down below 85% effective tackle rate, he's up at, uh, at you know 91.5%. So he was uh, waving that banner pretty strongly in this game. And he was one of those players that didn't deserve the loss. No, no, uh, absolutely true. Just to um, carry on a little bit with the stats in the in the pregame, I was I was speaking about some of the key stats and the the Eels missed tackle count. Just it it, it was came home to roost, didn't it? Like mm-hmm. I, I spoke about how the Eels sit thirteenth in missed tackles with thirty three point three missed tackles per game and we went we went past that didn't we with this with this particular match yeah well, I think we're at 41 for this game and yeah uh, there's no individual culprit this week uh, indeed in terms of uh, the highest missed tackle count which is four you have one uh, two three four five players with four missed tackles uh, so um, you know that includes Mike Acevo, uh we got Hodgson Barlow uh, Cartwright and Hands so and obviously there's yep. different different degrees of workloads in those missed tackles. So Mike has only Mike has made two miss made two tackles and missed four. Uh, yeah. But on you know, on the flip side, you have got someone like uh, Josh Hodgson who made 27, missed four. So still not great. But obviously the the effective tackle rate's way better. And yeah, and we've we've been talking about the physicality, haven't we? Sixties. And yeah. And how barring the Penrith game and maybe the Canterbury game where it felt like they were turning a corner, uh, the physicality's just not been there and. It, it's something I do want to talk about because we're 10 weeks in now. And I, I say this and I want to add the caveat that I realise that this season is more than ever because this season is actually crazy in terms of like how long it goes. Uh, we started earlier than we ever have and we, we run 27 rounds this year, 60s. It, it, this season's never been this big. It's crazy. It's more of a marathon than ever. So we're 10 rounds in and you don't want to be sprinting when you know, the, you've got another 17 weeks of competition. But the Eels are at a point now where I think there's legitimate concerns about how deep this team can go as it is right now. Um, and it's, I know you look at Penrith and 
the thing with Penrith was when they lost that grand final to the Melbourne Storm, going back three years now, they just doubled down. They just, you know, it lit a fire and they came back hungrier and hungrier. Yeah, and we saw them dominate for the next two years. And unfortunately, the Parramatta Reels, that lost to Penrith in the grand final last year, it looks like it hasn't produced the same result. And and yeah, maybe it's a degree, it's about pacing themselves, but if we look at our record now, 60s, we've had, what, three four-point losses in the first three rounds. Then we had an eight-point loss to the Roosters, an eight-point loss to the Broncos, and a two-point loss to the Titans. We're on the wrong side of pretty much every coin toss game we've played this season, except for the one against Penrith. Yeah. And, and those ones... You say? Yeah, I was just going to say, what we're, what we're seeing is that this year we're finding a way to lose yeah, some when, games when and we're dropping, we're dropping points that we can't afford to That's drop. That's right. So, Whereas for is, the last four years we've been finding ways to win these games and yes, we had the you know bad losses to South and, and whatnot here and there, but we'd find a way to win all these tight games and this year it's just not it's not coming together. for And, each, and while there is some consistency to some, some of the reasons, like we talked about that... Uh, physicality and impact and defense and, and line speed, that's definitely been a key thing. Across those other losses, it's sort of been like one thread or a different thread here or there, and we haven't been able to consistently just, you know, nail down. Well, we've lost moments in the game. And look, and it's fair to say, the goal kicking is a moment in itself, oh, yeah. right? But we've we've lost, we, we've lost or we've missed out on key moments where, um, and look, I'll go to this, game against the Titans and there's the cliche about rugby league being a game of inches. It was like we lost every, every moment of inches in that game. So um, when I think it was Sean Lane was brought down like millimeters. From yeah. The, they had to go upstairs, the but it, it was clearly when, an inch short. Yeah. yeah when, when Sivo went within uh, an inch of, of the dead ground, line. Yeah. That, that, that ball, um, and David Fafita gets the ankle tap on Dylan Brown. That little bit of interference that he had coming through, and it was, and it was, and, and it wasn't a significant amount of interference, but it was an interference by the same token. Uh, whether the, the player could pull out of it, or whether they deemed that he he was committed to the tackle, but then pulled out as soon as it was he realised he didn't have the the ball. Whatever the case may be, there was still an element of interference that's there, but it, it comes back to that that game of, of inches there, it, it was like, um, and then of course there was the one where, um, where Sivo was, uh, uh, you know, did come up short and, and it's just like. <sighs> David Vita of all people got that ankle tap on Dylan Brown going through the yes, middle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just so, like, the, just as we'll come to you on the game live, just in our conversations, we're saying, geez, for a team that usually folds defensively, the Gold Coast are showing an unnatural amount of resilience this week. Yeah, you know, yeah, just finding absolutely. finding the cover tackle, the ankle tap, you know, the getting across in time, the cover defense. Yeah, and it's and there's all these moments that are that were happening in games where, you know, in the where last year there might have been a moment where they found that way to win it. Um, they're not finding it this year, but look, by the same token, we were having some games last year during this early part. Where we were, we were throwing out some shockers in there. Like I mean, some real shocking performances. We, our form hasn't fluctuated as much there. Like we, we can talk about the games that you said where our physicality has been better. But you know, by the, if you had have said by 
you know, the natural averages that um, in those games where, you know, moments can go one way or, or they can go another, that if it had worked out at a 50-50 sort of split where, you know, a bit of good fortune or, or, or maybe something that happens in the flow of the game and it, and it, and it falls Parramatta's way rather than the opposition way, you know, even if you get half of those matches where they've had the uh, same number of tries as the opposition, you're talking about being in a completely different position right now. But the fact is... We haven't found a way to win. And because we haven't found a way to win, we're sitting where we are, where we don't have a lot to play with in terms of uh, affording too many losses from here on in. Nope. Like They just have to find a way to win. And when you've got an away trip to Canberra and Canberra's on a bit of a roll at the moment, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's arguable also that they've been fortunate to win some of the games, but they are on a roll. And then you've got a game against South coming up after that. And you think, hmm, like it's it's more than feasible that the next two games are losses. And then we're talking about problem time, like massive problem time. And you're talking about having to string together six to eight wins to get things back on track. And that's not going to be easy in this particular competition. Mm-hmm. So whilst we're, whilst we're, I don't think that we're uh, panic stations in terms of our form. We are not in a great spot in terms of results. So, you and and there's been a lot said about the Dragons and how they've been losing games on goals. But I could throw in they're they're losing games to some bad teams, and they're losing them with stupidity, not goal like. They they should be well and truly winning some of those games. Like some like for them, that the yeah. way they threw that match away against the Tigers was it was spectacularly thrown away. Like it was embarrassingly thrown away. The Eels haven't had those moments. The Eels have have been like consistently there thereabouts because of their I guess their attack is our attack is functioning fairly well. Um, but man, we've got to get some wins. We just got to get some wins because at some point, I think the psychological factor of losing games is going to kick in. And, you know, you start to get where it's like, oh, this might just be a bit too hard or this might be a bridge too far. Might start to kick in if they don't start to get the wins there. Um, and now, just on the defence, it's, you know, in in past years, you can look at it and go, oh, we're being done for numbers all the time, right? You know, you know what it was like in the previous years where, like, South and Manly would just expose our defence out wide and it was embarrassing how easy teams were getting around us. It's it's like, it's like, like we had this week where there was just enough players that were missing multiple tackles mm-hmm. that there were there's opportunities that other teams are getting. And the thing is, they're icing enough of those opportunities that they're matching what our attack is producing. Yeah, and it's creating that scoreboard pressure. Yeah. Because we're, I mean, we're, we're watching that game. And as I said, we're coming away 
from it and scratching the head out. How'd we lose that? Because we were just we just seemed to be so dominant through the middle with it when we were carrying the ball. I mean that that try that Gutherson scored that was on the back of like an, an incredible set of six from the kickoff. We just rolled up through the middle. We did nothing spectacular. We just rolled up through the middle, got to the kick, scored the try. Like it was as basic as you can get, yet it was beautiful watching the execution of it all. And I, I, I thought at that moment, we've got them here. And, and I was thinking to myself, we're going to see a score line. We, we're going to get them by 13 or more. We could be winning by about 18 well, points here. The, that was what I was thinking in my mind. That last quarter, the Titans were wilting something fierce. Yeah. But the Eels just couldn't convert. They, yeah. they Obviously, they end up scoring with a lovely Dylan Brown break down the right uh, when Mitchell Moses, after Mitchell Moses knocked himself out, uh, trying to tackle, uh, I think it was a young hooker. Uh, yeah, it was. Keeney. Um, and again, I mean, for this isn't an, obviously no one on the podcast is a complainer about this, but when they say... You know, if we stop tackling high and we just tackle low, you're going to get rid of all the concussions. It's like, hello? Like, yeah. you, you do realise that hips are like one of the most, you know, lethal in terms of concussion-causing uh, factors in, in the game. And again, that's just a reminder that you can't eliminate concussions by tackling low. Uh, but yeah, Dylan stepped up there. But yeah, we just couldn't convert. Uh, we had a couple of chances uh, that we just couldn't quite uh, link it together. And unfortunately, that culminated on the, the final play when in a game where I thought Sean Lane had a... Even though the numbers were good, there was a couple of drops that he shouldn't have had, and then he just had no game awareness on the last play. I don't know what was going on. He just went... To, he got tackled with the ball in hand. Um, yeah. So... This <sighs> is a... This is a um, with Laney, it's... We're seeing a similarity to issues that he had before where the timing's not... Just not quite right with his runs. It's not quite there, and that... That is... Would... In the past, that used to cause him to drop a bit of ball in contact, where he just didn't quite have a grip on the ball that he should have, and um, he was either dropping the ball as he hit contact or in contact. And we were starting to see uh, a similarity with that uh, right at the moment. Now, this is here's the stark reality of, um, as I said, we we're winning the middle, but the reality is that our most consistent forward and and here comes the caveat when he's played has been Ryan Madison now he's missed four games this year and you think to yourself how significant has his omission at the start of the year been right so there's the there's the first thing he's he's been like when he's when he's been on the field, he's been massive for us. I would suggest that our next cab off the rank in terms of what he's delivered uh, and in terms of consistency is Bryce Cartwright. Mm-hmm. Now, why am I not mentioning Junior? Yeah, well, <laughs> we we did discuss Junior. I feel like last week talking about how he's had a, a lower impact this year and. Yeah, you would have hoped with Reg out, Junior would have had a bigger step up, especially because he had the uh, two-week holiday, right, after getting yeah. the high tackle against Penrith. Um, but for whatever reason, Big Junes is well below his best this year. Oh, he, he is he is well below his best. We spoke about how like, the offloads are down this year. Now, that, that's 
that can that can be a matter of you know not not pulling the trigger because it's not the right time for an offload. And I don't I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with you know the the offloads have to happen when they can happen or should happen. Especially when you've got a Ryan, just- Ma- Ryan Madison and Bryce Cartwright and Jermaine Hopgood. Like there's all these other outlets for offloading in a team, which could let Junior focus more on the physicality and, and dominating the ruck, you know, in the head-on collisions. But we're not seeing that. No, and I think we're 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 not jumping into we're not we're not putting the boot into Junior here. What what we're saying is, I think we just we we simply need more from him when um, when we're missing the other uh, key. Bookend. I mean, you know, Junior's an Origin player. We we need right at this time. We need the best from him, and I'm sure he'd be the first to acknowledge that he's not playing at his best football. And um, we're we're in a scenario where, like, Woody's been going really well, but we know that his mobility, like his especially his lateral movement in defence is is going to be something that the Eels have to cover for because he is such a big man that and he's not a fast mover in that regard that's just the that's just the physical that's just the physical restrictions mm-hmm. that he has there and it's and I don't know that that's ever going to change too much he's he's more your bloke that you're going to bring off the bench for a bit of impact. He's carrying. a bit of an old school bookend in that regard, isn't he? Like yeah, real, yeah. real north south. Uh, uh, was it Martin Lang Jr.? It was a bit like that too. Like you know, you, you just let him rip into the ruck, but you know, knowing that they're going to be uh, not sidestepping and, and defensively not exactly uh, you know uh, top tier in that regard. But they're still yeah, we know he's going to bring. We know he will bring some impact tackles. Yeah, in the middle, but if but a, a, a faster player is is gonna perhaps get the better of him if he's if he's having to uh, move too much, and we've seen where uh, there's been occasions where he's been retreating in defence after making a tackle, and he's not yet back back in the line. And a faster, uh, and I think it was the Roosters that exploited that um, with with getting a run out of dummy half. And let's face it, like even that game against the Roosters, it was a couple of key moments where they got us on, you know, times like that. And you take that out of it. And I mean, it's a, it's, it's an even tighter contest than it was, but um, so we've, we need, we need our best players to, to really step up. And this is, where it was a little bit tough with Gutho because where we got from him what we always get from him, which is he's busting his ass in the game to win the game. But unfortunately, it was one of those games where he made errors in his play. And that, that can happen to any player where they have a, a couple of things that go wrong in a game. It and, does. And unfortunately... His his errors cost us, and uh, it ended up being the difference. I mean, we can't point to him and say you are the reason we lost, or we can't point to Mitch Moses and go you were the reason we lost. But by the same token, you can't ignore it. 
like if you're looking for reasons, if they're, they're when they're doing the video analysis of the game and they're looking at the at how the stats fall, it's, it's pure and simple. Mitch Moses missed his first three kicks at goal. Um, Clint Gutherson got sent to the sin bin. He threw an intercept. He missed a key tackle. And it's just, that's just the... And and, while while, while there's probably half a dozen other reasons they could find on the video review of whether one lost the game, when you're talking about your best players needing to make the plays, then those two are definitely going to be in the spotlight. Yeah, and the thing is that the coaches know that mistakes are going to happen in games. They want them minimised. But mistakes are going to happen, and what they want from the team is defend your errors. Well, they completed 85% this game, 60s. It was just that the the mistakes they made were as costly as they're going to be. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, you can't get any more costly. Exactly. You you can't get any more costly than an intercept try. No, length of the field. When you're you're threatening to score yourself. Exactly. We we spoke about it uh, when it happened uh, live, and we said that right there, is if you're playing what's in front of you, you don't throw the pass, you get you put the grubber in behind the line mm-hmm. because all of their defenders and are up. That's something I wanted to talk about in that uh, for Guffo and for the coaching staff, it's something they do need to address now because that's the second time this season that Gufferson's been picked off going down that side of the cutout ball. Ronaldo yeah. Molotalo did it earlier in the season and that was a pivotal intercept in the context of that game too. And- Absolutely, because you again... You're talking about where where did the difference come in in that in that match? You yeah, know, like exactly. um, you know, <laughs> take that try out in a four point loss. You had another twelve point turnaround. Um, yep. and it's not to say that Guffo can't come down and throw that cutout pass to whoever's on the right wing, which would have been Hayes Dunster in this game. Uh, but you know, we, we obviously we've been rotating through that spot. Uh, but it's just that if if your winger is lurking anywhere near the line, you've got to be cognizant of it. And either play the short ball or punish them with the the grubber kick through. And well, when it's when it happens multiple times, and when there's been other instances where teams have looked for it, it is obvious that he features on the tip sheet. That's right. It's it's something that they've keyed into, saying that you can you can get that left to right pass of Gufferson if you if you're just willing to sort of lurk near the uh, front line of defense. But that, yeah. again, that, that's the thing. There's an opportunity cost there defensively if you're positioning yourself for the intercept you're vulnerable to the kick. So the Eels yeah. just need to be able to play the football that's presented in front of them, the the game scenarios. And if the wing is there in that spot looking for the intercept, then either play short or go for the kick. Uh, you know, and, and after you do that the first time, they're going to say, well, shit, I can't uh, be looking for the intercept. And they'll reset defensively. And if, and if they don't, you just go back and punish them again. So, yeah, yeah unfortunate for the Parramatta Eels there. Gold Coast Titans did their – well – Either they did their work or Cam Pereira did a great job freelancing. That's the other option too. Some players just, you know, take gambles. And maybe Cam yeah, Pereira I think is one once of them. You, once you start to see things repeat. Yeah. You, you know, once yeah. is a coincidence, twice you start getting concerned that people are doing their homework. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it fits into – this definitely fits into the homework category. Um, I, I had uh, – um, uh, question that was put to me on Twitter the other day about, you know, why aren't certain players being selected and and what have you. And I said, look, the thing is that what we might see as as spectators is not what coaches see as um, you know, as deep analysts of of the game and in every every minute detail. And 
you know, players players miss out on on selection for a whole range of things. It can be that they're fallen out of their systems, you know, whether it be their their attacking systems or the defence systems, what what whatever the structures that they're falling out of, they're falling out of, and we don't know as um, as spectators how they're for you know that that this might be going on, you know we're just seeing something unfold, and and it might be a line break, and we don't necessarily know who has been the one that might be responsible. We might be blaming one person. But structurally, the line break might have been you know, three or four players inside where the, the crack first manifested, yeah. Yep, yep. So there's those sorts of things that happen. It can be it can be the player's technique at doing something isn't quite right. It, it can be that they, you know, it could be any number of things that they're asking the players to work on. And you hear coaches say things like, oh, they've got a few things they need to work on. You know, um, and it's and it's said when there's when players are dropped. It's said when there's players that aren't being selected. It can be, it can even be so. You know, they're getting a comment um, in post match. They're asking about different players or or what have you. Now, um, I I said that you know I've been I've been in a position where I've been able to you know try and dig a bit more information about different players and this and that over over many years. Right, and what I've simply learnt is I don't watch a game like a coach, and coaches watch games like coaches. And this is why I want to make the point: is that when we've, when there's something that's going wrong in any team, or when the team's being picked apart in some way, it's because coaches are seeing something in there that we might not be seeing, and we can be pointing the finger at a, at a particular person or a particular player. And uh, and we might be wondering, well, why is this player being selected? It, it seems to me that they're they're the ones that are stuffing up, or why aren't we bringing this player in or that player in? The coaches are seeing things, uh, you know. They've they've got their um, their KPIs for different players. They've got things that they've asked them to work on, um, and and it may well be that who they've got the same thing that's been asked of of a player that's up for consideration to come into the team, we just don't know what that is. And if a player's not being selected and we may disagree with it, we don't necessarily know that they might be failing in a way that is preventing them from being selected. And you know what? I think in, in this instance, like we were just talking about with, uh, with Gutho, I reckon this is, you know, I'm certain that the coaches have done their homework, the opposition coaches. And that, I mean, this to me, it's like, it's probably, this is in the simpler category of this is an obvious thing that they, that they can see that is, is happening. I mean, the Gutho's cut out pass. There's no, there's no mystical qualities about it. He, he throws it. He'll throw it in certain situations. They're awake to it, you know? So, um, where we have to be concerned now, however, is that, as was said in that that eye test, the coaches have obviously done their homework on how they can tire us out through the middle, uh, or how they can pick us apart through the middle. And if we've got players that aren't playing performing as they should, and we've just we've just said it, who's our best player? Ryan Madison has he been playing in most of the matches? 
No, he's mismatches. Um, next best player performance is probably in, in terms of consistency is well w- would be Reg. He'd be up there if it wasn't for, but he's not, and he's not going to be there for a little while yet. So that's not solved immediately. And th- so then that next best player is is Cardi, and he's he's an edge player, and Cardi can miss a tackle here or there, um, but we're not talking about anyone else at the moment in terms of a strength. Mm-hmm. And I think right at the moment, that's, that's my concern. And I'm, I'm a bit in two minds here, Forty, because like I said, I don't think we're far off the mark, but I think we can point a finger and work out, work out a couple of reasons why, which is that, we're not getting all our key players on the same page on the same day where we're not getting the best value from um, certain um, key players. Like I don't think Mitch had a great game on against the Titans before he got injured. Dill, I don't think still being quiet prior to this game. Still being quiet, relatively quiet prior to it. Junior's been far too quiet this season. Mm-hmm. And then, and we're trying to do this where we've got other issues where we haven't had consistent outside backs because we've had injury and form issues. So the fact that we're like only just losing games, I think to myself, well, look, when we get our act together, it's going to be, yeah, it'll be sweet. But then I'm thinking, how long is it going to take us to get our act together? And I know I'm rambling a bit here, mate, but this is maybe indicative. Uh, I said the delayed reaction is not going to be too different to an instant reaction. I knew I'd be like my head would be spinning with thoughts about what 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 can we do to fix this? I'm, you know, I'm not focused right now. This is why I'd be no good as a coach because I'm looking at it and I'm seeing maybe I'm seeing too many issues. Maybe I'm just, you know. I'm left with my head scratching after this after this loss. I just see it as one of those games that we shouldn't have lost. No. And then I can find so many areas where we did where we didn't do something well enough. But then I keep coming back to, but man, like the flow of the game, it really looked like we should have been winning it. So, yeah, I, mean, I guess the other thing is too. How many of their tries, the Titans' tries, came from longish breaks? I mean, you've got the intercept. Yeah, the uh, Cam, uh, Cam Pereira f- um, foreign cutout pass that he shanked ahead of Guffo, uh, but yeah. it, it bounced up perfectly for him. Yep, uh, yep. And then that the try that was set up by the long break. Yeah, Brian, Brian Kelly scoring down the left, yeah, our yeah. right edge. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we got taken apart at, like... We it was almost like those were. I know that the the Pereira try where he's, he's chipped over the top. Um, that was. I mean, that was a. You know, it, it, they just they worked out the numbers there, but it was almost still like we're in good field position in those moments, and it was how have we let this happen? You know, like especially with the Gutho intercept. Like, I mean, we were, we had control of that game, like genuine control of that game. And that, and then that, that try there, the Gold Coast last try, 
I mean, what was the score? Was it a two point difference? Two point difference. Point? Yeah. Uh, hang on, oh, let me yeah. Just check. So they scored. No, it might have been a four point difference. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, we kicked the. They didn't convert. So we kicked the converted try at the end to go plus two on the point differential there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and, and now you've just mentioned the differential. Look at our differential. What are we, about 30 points? We are. So plus 32, uh, which yep. is still good for, uh, we put us in, in terms of just pure points differential, we're fifth in the league. And yep. there's a huge fall off after us. It goes like to single digit positive for the Dolphins and Storm. And then everyone else is in the negative and it's getting bigger and bigger. So well, we've mentioned this in the podcast we've done the last couple of weeks that because of our narrow margins of defeat, you know, three times by four, twice by eight, and once by two now, uh, we're, we've kept our, we've minimized the impact on the points differential, which is huge for later in the season. But we're also, you know, obviously could have been way up the ladder on pure wins by converting just one or two of those into wins. And yeah, it's very, very frustrating. But yeah, it's a very weird season too because, again, the best points differential right now is plus 96 for Brisbane, and we're we're not that far behind with our plus 32. Yeah, yeah. So, again, like, I mean, there's there's so many things to to look at that, that are happening. I guess the, the thing is for the coaching staff, they have to find a way to get the wins happening. And... No doubt the a lot of the things that we've talked about in terms of being, you know, issues for players, they have to find a way to find a, 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 the fastest, simplest remedy. Yeah, honestly, it feels like just the, the club needs to ratchet up the intensity a couple of notches for maybe a month. And again, I know we're talking about pacing yourself across the course of a marathon season, 27 rounds. You know, the NRL's never been larger and, and longer. But maybe we just need to slip into a higher gear for a bit and then we can assess whether we need to get back into cruise control. Because right now it feels yeah. like we're in cruise control, but we haven't got the momentum. Yeah, yeah. And and, and look, that's probably a that's probably a way to describe it. It, it. There were times in that match against the Titans where it felt like we were cruising. Now, this it might seem a strange observation, but the way we were rolling through the middle in the second half, that could have easily been the game against the Knights. Yep. For how simple the metres seem to be. And what did you say the difference between the teams was in terms of metres gained uh, in the e- match? Eels, I believe, were pretty much plus 400. It was 2,055 to 1,672. So it was uh, plus 380, essentially, uh, for the Eels. Yes. But post-contact was plus 170. Uh, so Parramatta it was 531 to 364. So the Eels dominated the ground game. And, yeah. you know, and the commentary was saying as much, like all the attacking stats are favoring the Eels except for tackle breaks. And, you know, mm-hmm. tackle breaks, it, it's easy to rack them up and not necessarily do a lot with them. Obviously, the Gold Coast Titans made use of it for their first try to Kieran Foran with David Fafita breaking through a couple of tackles to slip the offload. But, yeah, the, the Eels dominated a lot of the key stats here but just had the big moments in the game slip away from them because of the Guffo Symbian and the Guffo intercept. Yeah, yeah, and... And again, it keeps coming back to this. There, there were moments in the game in all these, in all these matches where it goes wrong for us, and 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 probably a lot of it by our own doing. But it goes wrong, and then it ends up being very costly. Yep. And, and it might be a simple error. It, it might be 
just not winning a moment where the opposition find a way to, you know, to 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 stop something, to to get there themselves, whatever the case may be. But we're losing the, as I said before, we're losing the game of inches. We're losing the moments um, in in games where we're we're winning at a macro level and losing at a micro level. Yep. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's what I've been trying to say all all through this podcast that that there are games where we're losing, we're winning at a macro level and losing at a micro level. We've been we've been preaching the attention to detail needed too, so it makes sense. That, yeah, yeah, know. that's right. I mean, when you 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 spoke about this when the match was on, and we were and and uh, when we we're at the at Paraleagues, that uh, attention to detail, attention to detail. You know, like it's. Um, and yeah, it, it it couldn't be truer. So um, now, just I guess the other thing that we should mention right now is that the Eels had a two point win in the New South Wales Cup, and um, the because we want to talk about whether there's any pressure coming from underneath in, in terms of match in terms of team selections and and i guess what we what we the feedback that we've had from the match i mean we've seen the highlights but we we've also had feedback from people at the game um is that the uh forwards did quite a good job with this um jake arthur had quite a strong game but we were being torn apart on eviscerated the right, down the right edge yeah right yeah. edge it looked like yeah. Ogden backed up a good game against Newcastle in our all for strong game in the New South Wales Cup which is exactly what we want to see when someone gets dropped back due to not not due to form but due to you know just a, a bevy of first graders being available in the case of Ryan Madison and whatnot so Ogden did well there but yeah the you know I know a lot of people have called for certain players to be uh enlisted in the NRL but you know, the game's played on two sides of the ball, isn't it? So you've got to be able to defend as much as you attack and Paramount's right edge is just a sieve right now in the uh, yeah. in New South Wales Cup. So, yeah. Yeah, so you might see it. There's, there are forwards who are putting their hand up and and you mentioned Ogden that um, and he performed when he was up in first grade the other week and um, we had the lights. Uh, Matt Dury had a strong game, uh, Luca Moretti. Um, so we're getting, you know, good feedback about their performances in the game. Um, so, uh, and uh, many Luke, who's been a bit of a dummy half revelation since he's um, come into the team via Wenty's Ron Massey Cup team, um, seems to have added something at dummy half. But... Um, we're not necessarily getting too many answers from the New South Wales Cup at this stage. I mean, they're really just, I guess they're trying to find a consistency of their own form. Well, they're going to do it tough next week too because Mitchell Moses, Cat 1 stand-down concussion, Jake Arthur comes into the NRL team presumably. They're now without a halfback, so going to be a bit of a, a shuffle there. Maybe uh, RC into the halves or... I suppose there could be some stuff with Flegg and, and SG Ball talent too they could look at. But uh, next couple of weeks are going to be very big because the SG Ball players, they're going to start getting integrated into the Jersey Flegg. Uh, what that means for Jersey Flegg players going up to the Cup, we have to wait and see. Uh, but, yeah, there's um, some moving and shaking to be done moving forward 60s for all that young talent getting injected into the pathways. 
Yeah, uh, that is going to be an interesting selection at New South Wales Cup level because the the flag have manufactured halves. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, w- what we're expecting is that um, Ethan Sanders might be a, a, f- a fairly quick selection at um, Jersey flag level. And it's not pointing a, a, a criticism at the Jersey flag halves. It's it's basically saying that I think they've been doing a good job uh, for being players that wouldn't necessarily, that the halves wouldn't necessarily be their best position. Um, so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting because I don't know that whether they would necessarily elevate someone into the halves from um, Jersey Flag. What decision they make around that? Oh, like, honestly, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it probably is a matter of Dejan RC playing. It'll probably be like Rankin playing halfback and RC playing five eight. Yeah, and then uh, like, Lumi Lumi back to fullback or something like that. The yeah, so it'll probably. Well, Sean be, Russell could play yeah. fullback too, I suppose. Uh, yeah, Sean could play fullback. I mean, they'll probably bring um, Samuel in. Yeah. I would imagine uh, from from flag. Um, he. He, he could be he could be playing in the centres, um, as you say. Move Sean back to fullback. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how they um, how they line up. It'll be um, so teamless Tuesday this afternoon. Will be, be very interesting. Uh, yeah, on multiple fronts. Yeah. We'll see which SG ball players might be featuring in the Jersey flag, which uh, Jersey flag players could be in the New South Wales Cup, and have the New South Wales Cup manage to figure out playing around without or without Jake Arthur. So a lot to see there. Um, and before we do sign off 60s, uh, I've got to get you a little bit fired up because we haven't got through this part. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. What got you fired up out of that Gold Coast game that was outside of Parramatta's control? Oh, I think the the repeat offender, Jaden Campbell, that tackle on Sevo leading with the knees in the corner. If I... I I just can't believe it's past muster. Like I really don't. I mean, at what point is he? Does he become accountable for leading with the knees when he's trying to prevent a, a try? How is leading with the knees found to be acceptable because of the circumstance that there's, a, you know, there's a try that's about to be scored? the The hip drop tackle is a dangerous tackle that the league is rightly trying to get out. But when you've got knees coming in first, when a player's on the ground, um oh, I'm just I'm just dumbfounded. I, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna be I'll be adding something into uh a, a bumpers up this week about those that particular tackle. Let me be let me be blunt about this. We I've had that. I've had the head scratching moments trying to work out how we lost the game, and at no point through any of this discussion have we said, have we pointed the finger uh, at officials or anything like that. Right? It, it, we we've taken that off the table. However, we can't ignore the fact that I think there was justification for that to be an eight point try. Now. What happens? What happens with uh, a, the potential for an eight-point try there? 
what is what does two points extra mean? Do I need to say anything more? Well, and also the fact that you'll be looking at a sim bin too, honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I I put this to people as well. Let me pick someone from another team, so I'm not I'm not making it like it's a a Parramatta blame game here. What do you think the result would be if someone like Jared Waria Hargraves tried to prevent a try like with that sort of technique? I mean, look, let's get the obvious out of the way. He's a bigger bloke than Jaden Campbell, so he'd probably do some damage every time he came in with that. Last time Jaden Campbell did that on a Parramatta player, it was on Sean Russell, and we know what the result of that was. But what do you think would have happened if it was Jared Waria Hargraves making a tackle oh, like yeah. that? Oh, yeah, he'd be binned instantly or even sent off. Yeah, there would be an eight-point try and he'd be binned or sent off, right? So we've got someone who's not doing it for the first time and he's probably not, look, he's probably not alone in that technique in the NRL. And this is where my concern comes in. I'm not, I'm not, okay, I'm not necessarily saying, oh, why is this one bloke allowed to get away with it? Because last year I brought up multiple instances of this sort of tackle from other games. I think, uh, I think there was a Tigers player that inflicted it on a, New, on a Newcastle player. It might have been Dom Young that was the victim of a, of a tackle like that. There was there was a, a streak of about three or four weeks where there was people were using this te- technique. But I want to come back and, and point the finger and say, why is it that it, it would be probably more likely that certain players like a Jared Waria Hargraves who, uh, who have reputations, why can be, we be certain in our minds, that he would feel the wrath of a tackle like that, and yet it might pass master for someone else. Is it? Is it that instance of the scoring the try, and it's a lighter weight player that's trying to stop the try, um, as opposed to a, a, a brute of a of a middle forward? Uh, what is it? I, the thing is, I'm asking these questions because I don't have an answer. I don't. I don't know why that just wasn't pulled up. It was blatant when it happened. The footage is damning. The still frames even more so. So, mate, that's that's got me fired up because, you know, it wasn't enough that that Sean Russell was put in hospital last year. You know, we, we come up against the team again and the same thing happens again. It's just that the consequence wasn't as bad. But Sivo did look a bit dusty, didn't he, after he was tackled? Yeah. So... I mean, do we need to, did Sivo need to writhe around the ground in agony for something like that to be looked at? Well, it didn't make a difference to Sean Russell last year. Whether no. he, he was, you know, literally couldn't get up of his own power because his chest had been caved in. So, yeah, it just seems it's one of those ones where until it happens to a marquee or star player for a club that they really care about, then they're not going to do anything for it. So, And you know what? The thing is, um, and you just said it then, his chest was caved in. I mean, that's a horrible way. Like, that's a word picture that his chest was caved in, but it's the fact. Yep. Like, he 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 had the punctured lung. Like, I mean, like it, it's, it, was a, it was a brutal outcome. And then 
And then, like, let's just think back to the outpouring when um, when Dylan made his tackle that was of a Andrew Hutchison, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where, where where it was he? I mean, Drew Hutchison. Like, and the thing is, we we weren't saying that there shouldn't have been a consequence for Dylan Brown. We were like, you know what? How can you argue against that? Look at the outcome. Okay, yeah, sure. He, he's not the sort of player that would have intended to hurt someone, and we, and, and and like we've we've never seen a similar instance from Dylan before or after as evidence of. Well, that. that's the thing. He got while though obviously there was controversy about him not getting symbioned in the game, and that that's fair for Roosters fans to be upset about that. Dylan wore a two or three week suspension after that, didn't he? Correct. And and he's never had any sort of tackle like that because there were consequences. Whereas with Jaden Campbell, he's not worn any consequences and thus he keeps making the same tackle attempts. Well, it's rubber stamped. If there are no consequences, that it's been rubber stamped. So yeah, I, I mean I'm I'm filthy on that and I'm not and I'm not trying to throw Jaden Campbell on you know, under the bus because do you know what? It, when when the Titans were looking to, you know, when there were talks about, you know, maybe they'd part company with Jaden Campbell. I would have had no problems with Jaden Campbell coming to the club. Yeah, he yeah, might exactly. Uh, he's <coughs> he's got an X factor. About well, him. we saw that on those kick returns last oh last night. That's how long it's been on Sunday night, uh, where he was always just beating the first man. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he, he's 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 got the pedigree as a footballer. He's a major talent in himself. He's he, when the Titans don't select him in first grade, or have him coming off the bench, it's a bit head scratching because of the fact that he is he's such a talent. But let's we we have to go on on what we're seeing, which is he's he's used this technique on Parramatta players. I don't know how often he's used it on other on players from other teams. I'm not watching his his methods against other teams, but we can only go on what's happened with Parramatta players. And twice in the, you know, he's in the last two years, he's now used this technique on on Eels players diving in over the line. Yep. Uh, well, like I said, until it happens to an important player from an important club, don't expect too much to change. And on that somber note, mate, maybe we'll start wrapping it up. Uh, it's been a nice big uh, delayed reaction podcast. Um, this will be out on Tuesday, Teamless Tuesday, the 9th of May. And we're going to be right back into it with the news, NRL News podcast, Quint, which will record later tonight, but they come out on Wednesday. So lots happening here. And then hopefully it all culminates of people turning out on Saturday night at Paraleagues Club, Jack's Bar and Grill. Catch us live for the pre- and post-game shows uh, as the Eels look to hit the road and take on the Canberra Raiders. Sands Mitchell-Moses going to be a huge game. Absolutely. Important game. So we have to say, go you Eels. Yes, sir. Catch you guys next episode.